You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered. Listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon from the studios of Community Radio 91.3 FM, reporting live for WFHB. This is Benedict Jones. And I'm Jordan Jammer. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, February 12th, 2020. Coming up in the next half hour, Monroe County Attorney Margie Rice talks to WFHB about the County Convention Center expansion as the city and the county continue to clash over the project focusing on what we agree upon, which is, you know, that we've identified what's necessary for this project. We're all in for giving the land that's necessary for the project. If we can focus on that, I think we'll get there. That was County Lawyer Margie Rice. WFHB correspondent Bianca Pugliese reports on the latest update of the Monroe County Convention Center expansion that's coming up later in the show. Also coming up in the next half hour, our consumer watchdog segment, Better Beware, but first, your local headlines. The city of Bloomington spent nearly 20 times more for police overtime in 2019 than in 2018. According to an article from Indiana Public Media, Bloomington Police Chief Mike Dekoff gave the police department's expenses at the fourth public safety report on Tuesday. He reported that the police spent over $100,000 on security overtime last year, compared to the approximately $5,000 spent in 2018. Dekoff said that much of these expenses were due to a need for increased security at the Bloomington Farmers Market. The market has been a target of several protests due to the owners of Schooner Creek Farm having connections to white supremacists. According to Dekoff, the remaining overtime pay went towards increased downtown patrols, training, and dispatch. A 25-year-old woman died while walking across Washington Street on Saturday. Purvisethi, a student at Moore Law School, was struck by a 2019 Ford Expedition at the intersection of Washington Street and 3rd Street at around 6.30 p.m. The driver, a 59-year-old man from Illinois, stopped at a red light at the corner of the intersection. According to the police report, he looked to his left in order to avoid oncoming traffic. Then he turned right at the stoplight where he said he hit something, but he wasn't sure what it was. After seeing Sethi unconscious... He called an ambulance. Sethi died from her injuries. A press release from the Mara Law School said, quote, Purvis' parents have been notified, and her family is flying to Bloomington. Our thoughts and deepest condolences are with her family, her fiancé, and her loved ones, end quote. The Illinois man who was not identified in the police report was issued a citation for failure to yield the right-of-way. Zoning planner Eric Grulich proposed a Walnut Street planned unified development to the Bloomington Plan Commission. He spoke on the project at the February 10th meeting. The petitioners received approval to rezone the property in order to allow for it to be redeveloped with a uh, 242-unit mixed-use development. Um, So this would involve removing all of the buildings from the property um, in order to construct uh, two new buildings on the site. 
Um, overall, the petition was approved to allow for a building that would be between five and six stories in height. Um, it would have two separate buildings, um, one main large building on the west side of the site um, that would have a parking garage incorporated into it, and then another building on the east side of the site um, that would be kind of a, a smaller building that would also be for residential uses. Grulich said the five to six story building will include an outdoor seating area and plaza. He said city council discussion added solar panels and a green roof. Grulich said plans include a private transit service. Um, so the petitioners have uh, arranged for a contract with Bloomington Transit to provide an exclusive shuttle service. Um, it would serve this development as well as other folks along the, the Bloomington Transit route. Um, so that route is shown in red here on this map. Um, that is a three-year agreement that will be renegotiated, reanalyzed every... Grulitz said the petitioner is required to implement sidewalks, trees, and stormwater improvements on 19th Street. Community member Greg Alexander said further sidewalk expansion is essential. He said other city areas require sidewalk attention. Tom Beavis of Hampton's Town Homes said they have an easement on the south side of project property. We currently have an egress and uh, uh, in, in egress egress at for Walnut on, uh, that's an easement at the southwest corner of the CDG project. That easement is uh, being requested to be moved to the north. We were opposed to that uh, movement in previous hearings, and we continue to oppose that. Uh, my attorney sent a letter today uh, to those people involved, and there is a Indiana State a Supreme Court ruling as, as early as uh, latest 2018 in uh, Ellisville, and um, we're requesting that this be resolved before approval is given to this project. Grulitz said plan commission does not regulate private easements. Commissioner Tron Enright Randolph disagreed with Grulich about commission involvement. And the reason why is because they are submitting a plat that shows ingress and egress, and if it is a shared easement, then planning should sort those matters out before this commission deliberates. That, that is, now I understand you're not gonna go to court over that, they need to sort it out and resolve it, but for us to be making a decision which could impact an easement, I think is completely planning's responsibility, and I just don't think that was a fair answer there. So I spoke to our legal department this afternoon and they affirmed uh, that this is not our place to get involved. This is not a public easement, so then therefore it's not Then should they not, not be submitting this petition until it's resolved, is my question. So that is a matter for them to work out. It is not a zoning issue. Development Services Manager Jackie Scanlon said an added condition could require easement settlement before construction. Petitioner Tim Van Matre said easement settlement has no estimated time frame. Commissioners approved the PUD without an easement condition. Ellettsville Town Council discussed hiring a Department of Public Works full-time employee. Interim Town Manager Town Manager Mike Farmer spoke about the employee in their February 10th meeting. Mm, month and a half, two months ago, uh, we came to you and asked um, if we could uh, <clears throat> bring back 
uh, an employee, Greg Vegas, that we had working for us uh, temporary full-time. Um, he went on to get a full-time job somewhere else and was laid off for the winter. We had a couple openings and some vacations, so we asked to hire him temporarily <coughs> as a TFT again. And uh, so uh, he's still with us and about to leave to go back to his regular job. Uh, we've been talking uh, amongst uh, supervisors about uh, preparing for the construction season. Farmers said this hire would replace two temporary full-time employees. He said payroll will not be affected. Farmers said budget would allow for two additional seasonal hires. And so it can, and as I said in my email, it also leaves room to hire two uh, seasonal part-time employees to mow grass in the heart of the summer. And we usually hire some young people that are getting ready to go to college, just out of high school. We hire them for about two and a half, three months, and they actually help us um, with our mowing. Councilor Pamela Samples requested to table the hire for further discussion. Farmer said both street department and utilities department supervisors support the hire. Councilors approved the hire with further discussion in their next work session. In other Ellettsville Town Council news, councilors approved the tax abatement for Richland senior citizen housing. The Food and Beverage Tax Advisory Board discussed monthly and annual reports in their February 10th meeting. Commissioner Cheryl Munson spoke of December's report. Only thing that was missing at our January meeting uh, was the December 2019 total. Um, that is from 335 payers, uh, an amount of $321,528.03. Uh, December 2019 compares well with December 2018 uh, by uh, an increase of $19,000. Community Representative Susan Bright asked about 2020 projected revenue. Mayor John Hamilton said projections for each year is about $3 million. Munson said 2018 to 2019 comparisons were unhelpful. Is that, um, well, 2019 in one month might be a bit lower than 2018. Uh, that happened in only, I believe, two cases. And um, it seems to be then made up the next month yeah. by a higher amount. And so these monthly re um, uh, revenue reports are not um, very informative to us uh, because it could be just one of the blips in collections. Bright said more parallels should be seen in 2020. Munson said the annual report is not ready for submission. Mayor Hamilton said commissioners previously discussed a majority of the report in two public meetings. Commissioners delegated final approval of the annual to commission officers. The Jewish Theater of Bloomington is celebrating their 15-year anniversary. JTB is Indiana's only Jewish theater. Founded by Audrey Heller and Backhole Ruben Geller, JTB observes their love of theater and commitment to Judaism. Their mission is to, quote, produce works that arise from or reflect the Jewish experience, but that also focus on universal issues of the human condition that are accessible to a diverse audience, end quote, according to their website. 
They aim to reach audiences from all backgrounds relating to universal storylines. The theater stages two full productions each year. JTB will be celebrating 15 years at the Far Center on March 8th. And now it's time for your weekly road report. Mount Gilead Road will be closed today and through the night for culvert replacement. Liberty Hollow Road will have lane restrictions on Friday, February 14th. Jordan has more of your weekly road report. Weddell Brothers Construction will be realigning and constructing the Curry Pike and Jonathan Drive intersection on the west side of Curry. Dunn Street will have lane restrictions on Thursday, February 13th for bridge maintenance. Old Road 37 North will also be closed for bridge maintenance. Monroe County Highway said maintenance crews will be patching potholes, grading gravel roads, and trimming brush in various areas throughout the county Monday through Friday of this week. That's all for your road report. Now it's time to dive into today's feature reports. At a joint session this week, county and city leaders met to discuss the expansion for the Monroe County Convention Center. For latest update on the Convention Center expansion, WFHB correspondent Bianca Pugliese provides today's feature report. City and county officials continue to clash over the future of Monroe County Convention Center. Officials have been working on an expansion project, but they have run into their fair share of roadblocks along the way. Monday evening, city and county officials met to negotiate a solution attempted to appease all parties involved. Disagreements between the city and the county remain evident, especially regarding property transfer to a capital improvement board. In short, both the city and the county have yet to form a capital improvement board, which would oversee the expansion project. The disagreement in the property transfer continues to stall the expansion. County officials such as attorney Margie Rice remain hopeful, saying it's time to resolve the issue. I think the county commissioners and the county council feel like we've made a lot of progress. We're really looking forward to getting this wrapped up and hope that we don't, you know, focus on what can't be agreed upon because they've made such such good progress. And if we can keep focusing on what we agree upon, which is, you know, that we've identified what's necessary for this project, we're all in for giving the land that's necessary for the project. If we can focus on that, I think we'll get there. However, Rice argues land south of the convention center, as far south as 2nd Street, should not be transferred to the Capital Improvement Board. There is land that the county acquired that is south of the current convention center, goes all the way to it borders 2nd Street. And that land that is south of the convention center is not going to be used for this current project. In none of the designs has the architect identified that land being south of the convention center as necessary for this project. The mayor sums up the city's point of view by saying he wants the city to allocate revenue from the city's innkeeper's taxes to a capital improvement board. He added city-owned parcels near the convention center should be transferred to the capital improvement board. Deputy Mayor Mick Reniason said the county and the city have different goals in giving land to a capital improvement board for the convention center expansion. Reniason explains the city side. I think there are two differing versions of the map that were shown last night at the meeting between the, there weren't quite 20 elected officials there, but the city and the county councils and the administrative branches, the mayor on our side and the county commissioners on their side, where the county's perspective seems to be to only want to transfer the land that the innkeeper's tax purchased that looks like it's immediately needed for the expansion and the potential hotel, and the city believes all the innkeeper's tax purchased property should be transferred into the CIB's Control the Capital Improvement Board 
so that they can make decisions about how that land gets used in the future, whether that's two years from now, five years from now, or 30 years from now. Some 26 years ago, the first convention center was built, and for the last decade or more, it's been discussed it needed to be expanded. You'd hate to give up land so nearby when there might need to be another expansion another decade from now or maybe another hotel project or something else that would complement what's already being considered to be built there. So I think that's our perspective, and the, the county believes they don't want to see the extra land not used in the immediate future sit idle. Um, and so I think there's the discrepancy, just a difference of opinion about whether or not all the land should be transferred. Our sense is that it should be. Um, there's also an equitability issue in that we're transferring all the land around the site that we purchased into the CIB's control, and we think that the same should hold true for the county. Another issue stems from the County Convention Center and the Visitors Commission. Reniason said he has a unique position to see firsthand how the money flows from the innkeeper's tax revenue to both Visit Bloomington and the Convention Center. Well, I happen to be a sitting board member of Visit Bloomington, so I've got a pretty clear understanding of how the funding flows to both entities now. So 60% of the innkeeper's tax collected goes to support the uh, staff and the operation of Visit Bloomington, which promotes tourism activities throughout the city and the county. And, and that needs to continue, uh, whether that percentage is 60, 61, 59, or whatever it needs to be. Uh, that, that support is critical for everybody that's in the tourism industry to have support from the Visit Bloomington team. Then the other portion of that now at 40% has gone to uh, operate the existing convention center and the staff and the great effort of work product that they produce, along with paying for the land, the debt service on the land that was purchased for the expansion project. So, you know, in the future, the CBC appointments, we believe, should be equal. So there's one of the five that is designated as the Memorial Union Director of the hotel. So that's the sort of one out of the five's already been pre-selected, and the other four, three have to be hoteliers. The city believes we should be able to choose our two, and then the county would choose their two, and that's that's fair and equal. Uh, the county proposed that the city provide them a slate, something around uh, two per every position that the city would have an appointment for. So in other words, four for the two that we would have a say in, and then they would select from that. And, you know, that's that's a compromised position, I suppose, but in the true and equal partnership that the county has asked for all along in the process, uh, the city thinks that's kind of being restrictive about our two appointments. So the lawyers are looking into that to see if there is some state legislative uh, provision that makes it so that we have to provide them options as opposed to the city recommending just two people for those two appointed positions and then the county just accepting those recommendations and making the final appointment, which they have to do by state statute now. County Attorney Margie Rice gave the county's perspective in fairly issuing funds from tax revenue to Convention Center and Visit Bloomington. The argument from the county council's perspective is not whether the city should make appointments to the or make recommendations for appointments to the Convention and Visitors Commission. I think that the county commissioners and the county council are looking forward to the city giving some input about who should be on the commission. I think the concern is that they want to follow the Indiana Code provisions, which give the ultimate discretion for making the appointments to the CDC to the um, county. So the county commissioners get two and the county council gets three and they want to make sure that they maintain that discretion. So whether that looks like a panel of appointments that the city recommends and the county picks from that or whether that ends up looking like um, nominations that are made from the city and the 
and the county ultimately gets to affirm or deny um, either one of those I think would be fine, but they still want to maintain that the county council and the county commissioners keep their statutory discretion. Renison spoke on behalf of the city. He said both parties should focus on commonalities while working out the details. In the big picture of things that we're having a discussion about details like this in an interlocal agreement and that we've gotten past the formulation of a capital improvement board as a mechanism to move forward, we've agreed that is the mechanism to move forward. We've agreed assets should be transferred into the capital improvement board's control. We've agreed that the capital improvement board should be made up of three appointments from each entity plus one jointly appointed. So there's, there's a whole lot more agreement then there is disagreement. So the things that we're talking about now uh, don't surprise me that when you get down to the final details of a very complex uh, partnership, which it's been that way from day one, and that's not a criticism, it's just fact. You've got a lot of different entities involved in this and, you know, groups of 20 elected officials coming to an agreement on um, a matter of this complexity with the long-term future uh, significance of it for our community, it's understandable that we're going to get stuck on some things. And I would just say we worked our way through some of the other hurdles at the time, and I think we'll work through these. Even at the moment it doesn't look like there's consensus on those two topics, I think we'll find a resolution to that. And I hope that happens sooner than later. A meeting has been scheduled to resolve tensions between the county and the city leaders on Monday, March 2nd. For WFHB, I'm Bianca Pugliese. That was Bianca Pugliese with an update on the Monroe County Convention Center expansion project. Next up, WFHB correspondent Alex Dieterer talks to Edgewood Junior High School principal Jonathan Sieglin about a program intended to teach students about financial responsibility. Edgewood Junior High hosts Reality Store Simulation as an initiative to teach students how to budget and navigate the costs of life after school. Hosted by Greater Bloomington Chamber of Commerce's The Success School, formerly known as the Franklin Initiative, the Reality Store Simulation provides career awareness and workforce development services for 7th and 8th graders in Monroe County. Careers and the wages of participating students, uh, we go through in their math classes and and, um, they build kind of a profile in the class based on their current GPA kind of drives where they're at, so we, we start like there's a, a 3.5, a 2.5, and a 1.5. We don't put anybody lower than a 1.5, but um, based on their GPA, um, it kind of drives um, their educational opportunities as they're um, going to graduate, and then those educational opportunities drive which jobs they can have, and then obviously uh, what jobs they're able to get um, are based on the, their educational level. Uh, in some capacity. so The participating students are assigned an average salary based on their GPA. The lower the GPA, the fewer career options the student has. The salary is an average of a 28-year-old working with that degree. Several of our students realize that the current path that they're on uh, may not get them where they want to go. So at the junior high level, we don't push GPA a lot. You know, we talk about kind of preparing yourself for the high school level um, because those are going to open up new opportunities when you get to the high school level. You know, negatively, I, I think it's more of a kind of reality check for our students that, that you know, the grades are going to kind of open up new opportunities for them as they go. Um, obviously, there are situations where people are uber successful and their grades didn't matter that much. There's a higher correlation that able to navigate high school, kind of figure out your path, 
the better you do uh, at that level, the more opportunities that are going to be available to you. According to the Herald Times, retired accountant and decade-long reality store simulation volunteer Carl Crawford said, quote, It's a great learning experience for either 7th or 8th graders to see what real life is like and how expensive everything is. It really shows a student how important it is to get a good grade point average because then you're going to make more money eventually. End quote. There are 16 tables set up staffed by volunteers. Each table has a label of a different station to spend their money. Housing, transportation, groceries, insurance, childcare, electronics, and more. According to the Herald Times, president of the Success School and organizer of the reality store simulation Christopher M said he hopes this gives students a sense of the costs of life, especially childcare, and allows them a chance to think about the costs their parents paid. Uh, one thing we're working on in junior high is we kind of plan curriculum and the way we want to guide our students moving forward. We're, we're trying to build in some of those soft skills, those employability skills, uh, college and career readiness standards so that they kind of understand uh, not just based on the, the reality store that we went, but um, the skills that they're going to need as they move on uh, to be in the place that they want to be. And so we're, we're working on uh, incorporating more of those soft skills uh, into the curriculum so that they you know, are ultimately more prepared uh, to be good citizens and great employees. According to a pre- and post-survey by Ardeo Education Solutions, 88% of students reported that they enjoyed participating in the reality store simulation. For WFHB, I'm Alex Dieterer. That was Alex Dieterer talking to the principal of Edgewood Middle School in Ellettsville. Reporting live from the studios of WFHB Community Radio, I'm Jordan Jammer. And I'm Benedict Jones. Support for WFHB comes from Cardinal Spirits Distillery, located on the Beeline Trail. Cardinal Spirits has opened a new kitchen featuring local, seasonal food made from scratch to complement their craft cocktails. Dinner is available Tuesday through Saturday at Cardinal Spirits, 922 South Morton Street. The WFHB Local News is also brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Andrew McKieran, Cade Young, and Sydney Foreman in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our features were produced by Bianca Pulesi and Alex Daterer. Our engineer today is Dan Withard. Our new theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is Jordan Jammer. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent local news program. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. Send inquiries to news at wfhb.org. Now please stay tuned for KiteLine a program amplifying the voices of those within Indiana's prison system. That's coming up next, right here on WFHB.
You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 